Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message, and I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. I have, we have thoroughly enjoyed being with you. Uh, this has been a reunion for us in many ways. Some of you we've known and loved for many, year, many years, but, and now we have new friends. And I've learned a couple of things about the folks at Robertsdale. Number one, you know how to have fun. Number two, you're interested in building your relationships. And both of those, I think, are outstanding qualities. And among those that uh, we have been blessed to reconnect with was even our scripture reader. Weston. Man, it's great to see him and to see him reading scripture. That's, that's awesome. And we love Eric and Haley, Kenley and Layla very, very much. It's amazing to me when I see the girls, how much they've grown. Shall I tell stories, Kenley? No. <laughs> but it's, it's been a genuine pleasure. So thank you on behalf of my wife and me for the opportunity to be, to be with you. And yes, these principles this morning will be applicable to every relationship that you have. We'll, fit, we'll focus it on the marriage relationship, but please find application in, in all of your relationships. How many of you have seen one of these, a unity cross? Uh, not many hands going up, okay? I've done a couple of weddings in which instead of a, a unity candle, they have a unity cross. And part of the, the ceremonies that I've done that had a unity cross, we assembled it during the, the ceremony itself. There are some parts to it. There's the outer part, which represents the groom. You know, solid, uh, we're the protectors, all right? So it's a solid piece. And the beautiful, intricate part is, represents the bride. And so the, the groom in this ceremony puts in his piece, and then the bride puts in her piece, the intricate detail, the many capabilities of the woman. And then there are three pegs that hold it together. And so when I was first given the opportunity to use this in a wedding ceremony, I thought, well, okay, what do those pegs stand for? There were three nails in Jesus' cross, and so I want to allow those pegs to represent the nails in Jesus' cross to have truly a cross-shaped marriage. In what shape is your marriage? Or in what shape are your relationships? I want us to think about a cross-shaped marriage or a cross-shaped relationship with people that we know and love. And so we're going to allow those three pegs or those three nails to represent some things that we learned from Jesus as he hung on the cross for our sins. So the first one, let the first nail represent selflessness. Selflessness. Jesus offering himself on the cross was an act of complete selflessness. In John chapter 10, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. A hireling, when trouble comes, a hireling will flee, but not a good shepherd. 
A good shepherd is going to protect the sheep and even give his life in defense of the sheep. And in 17 and 18 of John chapter 10, Jesus talks about how I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And he's, it's speaking to the selflessness of Jesus. So that's our Lord as he's hanging on the cross. He represents selflessness. How would you fill in the blank? What is the greatest enemy of a happy marriage? And I've posed this question to many people through the years, and I've gotten all kinds of good answers. Uh, some say, well, lack of com communication is the greatest single enemy of a happy marriage, and that, that's critical to have good communication. Some say financial issues are the greatest single enemy of a happy marriage. In this day and time, we might include distraction. Distractions are an enemy of our marriage. But this is a quotation from a book written many years ago by Carl Bikin and Paul Faulkner. And the word that they use is selfishness is the greatest enemy of a happy marriage. And I suggest that if there were some answers that came to your mind to fill in that blank, probably, no, I believe every one of them would boil down to selfishness. Selfishness is at the root of all sin, mind you. And so it would make sense that selfishness is the greatest enemy of a happy marriage. But if we're patterning our relationships, our marriages, we want them to be cross-shaped, then we've got to learn to be selfless. There's no room for I and a focus on ourselves. In the passage that Weston read for us, uh, let us not only consider our own things, but the things of others. Have that outward focus. And that's the focus that we need to have to make our relationship strong. So the first nail can represent selflessness. The second one goes right along with it, sacrifice, sacrifice. Jesus dying on the cross was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins so that we can be saved. He gave himself. I love Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I live, but Christ who lives in me. For he loved me and gave himself for me. Paul could have said he loved us and gave himself for us, but don't you love it that he personalized it? Jesus loved me. You think about Paul and what that meant to him. He'd been living his life persecuting Christians, thinking he was doing the will of God and was confronted by Christ. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And he was cut to the heart, wasn't he? Blinded by that bright light, but spent three days fasting and praying. And what do you think he was praying about? I'm thinking he's praying, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. What, what can I do? What can I do? But he learned that Jesus died for him. And Paul would say he loved me, the chiefest of sinners. And he gave himself sacrificially. For me. 
And every one of us can say that. And every one of us needs to apply that principle of having cross-shaped marriage or a cross-shaped relationship that we're going to be sacrificial. Sacrificial in our love. There was an author by the name of O. Henry wrote a short story many, many years ago. It's called The Gift of the Magi. Della and Jim are the, this husband and wife's name. Della and Jim. They each had a precious possession. For Della, it was her long flowing hair. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. For Jim, it was a gold watch that had been given to him by his father. It had been an heirloom. And he treasured that watch. Well, Della and Jim didn't have much money and it was Christmas time. Della counted out $1.87. That's all she had to try to find a gift for her husband. And she wanted to get him something. So what she did, she went and had her hair cut and sold her hair, her long flowing hair, for $20. And with that money, she bought a fob, a chain fob, for her husband to attach to his prize watch. And so she's so excited. She's got that platinum fob and she wrapped it up and couldn't wait for her husband to get home that evening. And so when he gets home, what's the first thing he sees? Her hair's been cut. And in his eyes, she's no less beautiful. She's still beautiful. But then he hands her the gift that he has for her. And it's two jeweled combs for her long flowing hair. They gave the most precious possession that they had. Folks, true love does the same thing. We want to cross-shape marriage. We want to be selfless. It's not about me. It's about, it's about us. We want to be sacrificial in doing and expressing our love in, in every way to where we are willing to do anything for our loved one. There's one more I want to point out. By the way, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So for husbands, the bar is set high. You want to love your wife? Raise your level of love to the love that Jesus demonstrated when he gave himself for the church. You lay down your life for, for your wife. For, before I note, note the third nail with you, I want to pose this question for us to think about. What held Jesus to the cross? I was reading uh, the last few days in Matthew chapter 27. And there were those who had cried out for the crucifixion of Jesus. And, and now that they've been successful in getting Pilate to at least wash his hands and let them do what they've wanted to be done. There are those that are mocking Jesus. And they yell out to Jesus, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down. Get off of that cross. If you're the king of Israel, then prove it. That's a paraphrase. Could Jesus have done that? Do you remember uh, in the garden, Jesus had been praying. And then this mob led by Judas comes into the garden. And Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. 
And Simon Peter's ready to go to war, right? He pulls out this sword and he, he even strikes the servant of the high priest cutting off his right ear. And Jesus tells him, put away your sword. Do you not know that I, I could call for 12 legions of angels to come and deliver me? In fact, we sing a song. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. By the way, a legion was about 6,000. So 12 legions, 72,000. And I think that may have just been a number that represents an innumerable host. Jesus could have called 72,000 angels to come and take him from the cross and prove, them, prove to them beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was the all-powerful son of God. But he didn't. So what, held, what kept Jesus on the cross? Well, our sins, for one, because that's the only way that you and I could receive forgiveness, is for the sinless Son of God to go on our behalf and be nailed to the cross. Our sins, our sins, not His own. He Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, go along with Joseph, might live for righteousness so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The only way we could become righteous in the sight of God is for the Son of God to give himself on the cross for us. So our sins kept him on the cross. Our, his love kept him on the cross. His love. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3, 16 says, by this we know love, or this is love, NIV states it, because he laid down his life for us. You want to know what love is? Foreigner used to sing. You want to know what love is? This is love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. And what's the application John says we need to make? And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You see, that goes back to the nails of the cross and what they represent. They represent selflessness and sacrificial love. If you want to know how to love, look at what Jesus did for us. He gave himself. And what held him to the cross was not only our sins, but his, his love for us. But there's one more thing. Jesus went into the garden. Hebrews 5 or 7, I think, is, made, is written by the Hebrew writer in reference to Jesus. That with loud crying and tears, he made a supplication before God. You remember he took with him three other disciples, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle. Wait with me while I go a little bit farther and pray. What do they do? They're so tired, they fell asleep. Jesus would come back, find them sleeping, go back and pray some more. And each time he went back, and he went three times, he prayed the same prayer. Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
You see, the third nail that pertains to the cross of Jesus and pertains to our marriage relationships and other relationships, let's call it submission to God. Another thing that held Jesus to that cross was that he had committed his life to doing his Father's will. It was his Father's will. God the Father said no to the Son in the garden. If there's any other way to save mankind, let it be. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It was the will of the Father that his Son go to the cross to die for our sins. And Jesus was obedient. That's what held him to the cross. And so a cross-shaped marriage, a cross-shaped relationship. If you look at the vertical piece of the cross and the horizontal, let that vertical represent this idea of submission to God. Just as that cross was planted in the earth, May our application be, we're going to be planted in the word and the will of God in our relationship. And what that looks like is that's making a commitment. That's a making a commitment. Well, to keep our number one, our number one, God. And in marriage, our one is God, but our two is our spouse. But you can supply any other relationship in that context as well. But here's the point. The greatest thing that you or I could do to make our marriage stronger is to submit my life to God. It's to submit your life to God. What does that look like? Marriage is a commitment for life. For richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and cherish until we are parted by death. It's a commitment for life. But I've learned something. Guys, if you haven't learned this, let me share something I've learned from my wife about how I state this. If I tell Patrice, honey, I am committed to you. You know how that falls on her ear if I'm not careful? It's like... I Googled for a picture of a, of a man's leg with a ball and chain on it. That's what she could hear. I'm committed to you may come across as me saying, I'm stuck with you, whether I like it or not. And that's not the message, is it? So I'm going to, this has helped me, guys, so I hope it'll help you. I want to say it and live it this way. It is a commitment to love one another for a lifetime. Women, is that better? It's a commitment. Wife says yes, and everybody else says no. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> it's a commitment to love one another for a lifetime. It's not a I've got to or I have to. It's a I want to. And I want to do on my part everything that I can to demonstrate my love for you. And it's a commitment that grows out of your commitment to Christ. It should be a natural progression because I have planted myself in the word and the will of God. I've committed my life to following him. 
how that's going to translate into my relationships, particularly my marriage, is I'm going to love my wife for the rest of her and my life. It grows out. One grows out of the other. I want to tell you about this rock. This rock to me represents a couple. A couple that some of you in here have known. I've known them for 27 years. Their names are Wayne and Pat Haney. And if you'll indulge me, I want to tell you a little bit about them before I get to this rock. They're both from, from Arkansas. And they moved to Mobile a number of years. They were already living here when we moved here 27 years ago. And to know Wayne and Pat through the years as I have, it's, been, it's really been fun to know them and to watch them interact because they have a lot of fun. One of our principals yesterday was have fun. Well, Wayne and Pat Haney have known how to have fun. For example, both of them were valedictorians in their high school class. I think Pat was a, a year ahead of Wayne. Well, here's one of the dialogues that I heard about. One day, Pat said to Wayne, if you had been in my class, you may have been number eight in my class. <laughs> well, Wayne, if you know Wayne Haney, he's got a comeback. He said, well, I'll tell you what. If you'd have been in my class, you might have tied for second. Well, that, there was just this fun, playful banter. That, that was always going on, on between them. Here's another example. Early, I think not long after they moved to Mobile, um, they were kind of strapped financially. And so Wayne told Pat, honey, I just don't think we have the money right now to get furniture for the front room. So, but if you'll be patient, uh, one day we'll get some furniture for the front room. And she said, okay, I understand. Then not long after that, the front door opens and Wayne, with some help, is bringing in a pool table for the front room. <laughs> Miss Pat doesn't say anything for about two months. But then one day she cornered Wayne and said, listen, I need you to explain something to me. You told me we didn't have money for furniture for the front room, and then you bring in this pool table. I want you to explain that to me. Now watch this. And I want you to tell it to me real slow so I can understand. How do you think that went? I asked them uh, when they started dating. Wayne's he, he, he said the name or the month and the day. It was May of 1960. And he went to her house a calling, okay? May 1960. At first, he, he confessed. Pat said, don't come back. A year later, he came back and persuaded her to go out on a date. And two years later, they were married, July 16th, 1963. They had a lot of fun, and they had a lot of good, great traditions in their marriage. One was that 
I don't know if this was just a joke, but Wayne, when it came Christmas time, he would tell the family, just give me a pair of black socks. But on Christmas morning or whenever they opened gifts, Wayne was good about saying, when you receive a gift, you need to show a lot of excitement, no matter what the gift is, even if it's a pair of black socks. Well, Pat, his wife, had an idea. And so came time to open the gifts, and Wayne opens, a, open, opens up a gift. It's a pair of black socks. Yes, a pair of black socks. And then he opens up another gift. It's a pair of black socks. And Pat says, remember, Wayne, Show the enthusiasm. Yay, a pair of black socks. He opened another and another and another. Guess what? Black socks. 38 pair of black socks. <laughs> a few years ago, uh, Pat developed Alzheimer's. She knew the signs. She had a mother and a sister who had Alzheimer's. She and Wayne took care of, of her mother until her passing. So can you imagine having dealt with that and Pat knows the signs and so she sees it in herself. And she did not want that. But Wayne affirmed to her, I'm going to take care of you. And he did. And he did. In COVID, I didn't see them much. But then we started, I started seeing them more and more because I would deliver meals to them once a week in their Meals and Wheels program. And so I saw... Uh, how Pat, how this disease had affected her. And there were times when I'd go in and I'd know instantly it had been a hard day, hard day. Pat got at times to be uncooperative and Wayne's literally having to do everything for her. But he was determined, I'm going to keep her at home. And he did until she passed January the 6th of this year. After 60, 60 and a half years of marriage. So what does this rock have to do with that? It's another tradition from Wayne and Pat Haney. Pat Haney, for some reason, loved rocks. Literally. In fact, I, to I was told um, that one day they were visiting somewhere and Pat found a rock that she liked and she picked it up and took it home with her. And Wayne, being Wayne, wrote on it, Pat got this rock at this place. She stole it from this place <laughs> on this date. And what they would do with the rocks is they'd place them in places in their yard. Can you see the date on this rock? It's 
This was this past Christmas. Wayne found her a rock and wrote down her name and the date of Christmas. And though her mind has been impacted tremendously by Alzheimer's, he said, let's go outside. And he said, would you like for me to place this rock right here? And she agreed. And that's where he placed it. And that's where I took this picture. To me, that rock symbolizes committed love. Committed love that grows out of their commitment, their mutual commitment to Christ. I wanted to tell you about that real life example so that you can have an example to emulate. I don't know what's going to happen in your relationship from this day forward. I don't know what you may encounter. But I pray that you'll have a cross-shaped marriage. And that you'll continue to be selfless and sacrificial in your love. But out of your submission to God, that you'll never give up on your relationship. I visited with Wayne um, the week after we had the funeral for Miss Pat. He sat in his chair, and beside him he had a he has a an end table that has a couple of drawers. And I don't know what he had kept in those, but he had emptied them out to put something else that he had found. He'd been going through a lot of their stuff, and he found several cards that Pat had given to him through the years. Anniversary cards, birthday cards. So I'm sitting there in the room with him, and he wants to read some of those to me. And this is one that Pat got for Wayne uh, one one time on his birthday. And this is the card that she picked out. It read, Our marriage is the most important thing in my life. You are the most important person. And on your birthday, I wanted to take some time to remind you, nothing makes me happier or more sure of my place in the world than being your wife and sharing this wonderful life with you. With loving thanks for the generous heart of yours and for everything about you that makes you the good, kind man that you are. Happy birthday. I love you. Exclamation point, exclamation point. Pat. I can't help but wonder, had she already begun seeing the signs of Alzheimer's? Was this her desire to communicate her love and appreciation for her husband? that had stuck with her and she knew would stick with her no matter what came. I pray you'll be that kind of spouse, that I'll be that kind of spouse, and that we'll have that kind of committed love that just flows from the cross. Because that's the kind of love that Jesus has for us, isn't it? I am persuaded 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's that kind of love, folks, that'll compel us to follow Jesus. Knowing that he loves us that much, how could we not follow him? But it's that kind of love, folks, that should flow into our relationships. That committed love that says, not I'm stuck with you, but I want to love you for the rest of our lives, no matter what we encounter. May your marriage be defined in that way. If this morning you have never surrendered your life, you've never responded to the great love of Jesus, I hope that His love and thinking about how much He loves us will just move you to accept His offer of salvation and be baptized like these two wonderful folks that have been baptized this past week as a penitent believer that you can be immersed into Christ and have your sins washed away by His blood. You can become a child of His even today. And I pray that his love will prompt us and move us not only to love him supremely, but to love one another like he has loved us. If you need the prayers of the church, if you're subject to the invitation of Jesus, please come right now as we stand and sing.